Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. Welcome back to the Larkcast. We are fresh off of Easter, man. Easter weekend, Holy yeah, Week, some people call it. Um, lots of religious activity and irreligious activity, you know, like mm-hmm. eggs and you know all that pagan stuff, like color and eggs, all that satanic stuff, you know <laughs> <laughs> that. <laughs> that the church is so compromised bro you know like coloring eggs and we're like without knowing we're just you know doing all this like pagan pagan stuff that's what they, that's what they say <laughs> there's always that one person on Facebook, yeah. dude that's to remind everyone you know that coloring eggs is actually you know satanic in 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 ritual that's what i'm like i'm like bro i'm just i'm just over here coloring eggs dude trying to connect with my kids they think it's fun yeah yeah my little six-year-old had a blast dude made some really dope eggs too like we were all sort of actually amazed like how did he how did he get all these colors on here and then his favorite part was uh his favorite part dude was finding them that was that was kind of cool yeah, dude, but we my, still do the we we do the uh, hiding the eggs and stuff too, bro. What we did this year is we put uh, fifty dollars uh, worth of uh, like dollar coins mm. in little in little eggs and like hit them everywhere. And so we have like my, my kids are older, and then Pam's sister, her kids are younger. So like after everyone got their eggs, my older kids were trying to sucker their younger cousins out of the money with candy. <laughs> <laughs> like celebrating the resurrection with a little robbery. <laughs> My 15-year-old is trying to strike a deal with his five-year-old <laughs> little cousin Violet. Oh man. I'm like, bro, I'm like, bro, what are you doing, man? That's amazing. <laughs> Speaking of amazing, we um, you know, various people, man, connected to the Lark tribe, reaching out, like, hey, it's Easter. For some people, this was their first Easter, just like hanging out at home in the morning. You know, like not going to a church service. Right. And just things that they've been learning over, you know, over time with us. And uh, they just found themselves going, man, we should, what if we woke up and like made breakfast and relax in the morning and had some people over and just, you know, celebrated this new life that's been brought about through Jesus, through the enjoyment of the simple things that make up life. Yeah. And so I had a bunch of like correspondence with people, but my favorite one was... (laughs) <laughs> i woke up this morning it's the very first thing i thought of i'm like this kid dude this kid gets it i think he's four or five um his name's wes and his his mom sarah had reached out and said yeah what said like they were all making requests of things they wanted on easter and he said i need donuts donuts help me celebrate jesus better <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
I cannot stop laughing. <laughs> because it, on one hand, you know, it's just funny. But on the other hand, I'm like, that's it. That's it, man. Like, it's just this joy of coloring some eggs and hanging out and eating food and drinking a beer and laughing with your neighbor and yes. enjoying a donut with a five-year-old and saying, man, he's this, the, he's, he's this good. God's this good. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. dude. Yeah, and of course, I'm like always reminded on Easter of how we used to talk about Easter, you know, when we were on, on staff at, at church, it was like the Super Bowl, Super Bowl of Sundays, you know, you had all these oh, people yeah. coming in and, uh, you know, of course, we're trying to like, you know, capture their information, trying to follow up with them and like running ourselves ragged with like this hospitality room, you know, you're trying to get everybody like plugged in running like 20 hundred services dude, try to get everybody to come and uh yeah man uh i just i definitely prefer the the slow down restful life um mm. instead of running ragged in jesus name yeah man cheers to that cheers to that absolutely so man we're diving into reclaim um if this is your first podcast uh, Reclaim is a book that uh, Russ and I co-authored. Uh, it's been out for a while. Uh, we podcasted um, about this like way in the past, um, but realized that we haven't really brought the conversation of Reclaim to the Larkcast. And we're we're in the middle of it, man. We're in chapter mm -hmm. three today. Last week, uh, we were in chapter two, focusing on the cross and really honing in on this idea of left-handed versus right-handed power. And I was inspired by that conversation. Well, I, that whole idea of left-handed versus right-handed power is something that's always stuck with me. And so I was like thinking through like some tattoo ideas, you know, cause I'm always, I'm always thinking about that. And I wanted to do something about left-handed versus right-handed power. And I woke up on Friday, good Friday. And just like in my bed before I even got going, I was like, I'm, I'm getting tattooed today. So I reached out to Mike and, um, he was guest spotting um, in the next county over at another tattoo shop. I thought I was like, I could walk to his tattoo shop from my office. So I thought I was just mm. like, cool, like walk over there. It's going to be easy, you know? And um, he's like, yeah, I'm in Valpo. And I'm like, you got a slot open? He was like, yeah. So he gave me a time and I knew I wanted to get a cross on my left hand, which is a big deal because I've been talking about getting hand tattoos for a while. Um. And I've always like, eh, you know, they call him a job stopper, you know, like it's definitely like <laughs> <laughs> definitely, even though I'm like, I my legs are sleeved, my arms are sleeved in my brain, still like hand tattoos are like, it's like, I, I had a hard time like getting there. Yeah. And um, I'm like, all right, cool. Like, I'm not going to do something like big necessarily up front, like cover the whole top of my hand. But I was like, I'm going to get a couple of hand pieces. And um, I got a cross on my on my left hand, kind of like by the the meat, you know, down by the by the thumb. And I got a sword on the right hand uh, just to, you know, contrast that whole left handed mm. versus right handed power. But I'll tell you, one of the unintended negatives of this is because they're on my thumbs. That's how you hold your phone, like when you're chilling and sitting or even like writing emails. And so now, like when I stare right at my at my phone and I could be emailing clients, texting friends, responding to things on social media. Now I have this constant reminder as my thumbs are 
moving. Um, yep. Left-handed versus right-handed power. And it's just like right there. And I'm like, oh, I didn't think about I didn't think about this one. Makes I'm sitting there like bam, like hitting it with my thumbs, and I'm like, eh, this feels a little right-handed. Yeah, I might want to change my tone here. <laughs> this is sanctification, man. Yeah, dude. Sanctification. If you want help with being less of a sinner, just get whatever you need to remind yourself to behave better tattooed right on your thumbs. Yeah. That'll that'll help help it out quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and God will be impressed. He will be impressed. Yeah. Nothing yes. nothing like some forced behavior to yes. <laughs> just remind him how much you love me. <laughs> yes. And of course we're being extremely facetious. Um yeah. because chapter three, yeah, chapter three is titled Trust. And I think a lot of us think that the goal of Christianity is really this process of like, we accept, right. This proposition um, that God has for us to come and be reconciled, to come and be forgiven. And once we do that, that's great. We celebrate that. But then really the Christian life past that we move away from the simple trust, which we say gets us in. Uh, and then we move on to, really trying to sin less really it's kind of like behavior management right um yeah. we get on to growing being sanctified and becoming the kind of people really this is it's inevitable end mm -hmm. becoming the kind of people that jesus would never have to die for in the first place and we think that Christianity really is about this whole idea of sinning less. But we focus in that on just our actions and our behavior. And there's something much, much deeper that the scriptures get to in this conversation, because it's not really all these like little kinds of behaviors and things that happen on the surface or outwardly. There's a much deeper root at play really that he's he's come to address and it's this idea of what we're trusting yeah. who we're trusting and the biggest thing about humanity that we can't seem to fix is we wake up every day in the spirit of independence and yeah. we love control and that control expresses itself in irreligious ways which is the most glaring thing that the church is, is able to address. But one of the things that it's blind to is that independence expresses itself in religious ways as well. And so yeah. our sin, capital sin, unbelief and trust in ourselves, it can hide very nicely under the roof of the church um, in all of our religious kind of, you know, behavior. So we're talking about trust today. And yeah. we're confronting this this thing deep, deeply rooted in us, which is a spirit of independence, which is the opposite of trust, and it's the opposite of faith. It is. It's it's very it's very deceiving, right? Yes. And you could even say religion and all of its practices on all of its ways, in my opinion, is is hands down the most deceptive drug in the world. Mm -hmm. Right? Like there's 
there's such a comfort that comes with the sense of control and nothing can give you that better, right? Than something that you can somehow grab onto and manage, especially if what you're managing is something that people are holding up as good and right and makes you therefore right with God. Mm-hmm. And that's where the, the danger really creeps in. And I think what we've been on so far is this journey of really taking a hard look at who is Jesus, right? Reclaim one. And you start to see, oh, like, oh man, this is like, you're talking about the image of the invisible God. <laughs> you know, you're talking about God who becomes flesh and reveals that we've always existed in him. Always. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, out of that, you see the necessity of the cross. And I feel like we got to unpack. And like the one thing that came to my mind, man, as you were talking about your tattoos, you know, that whole right-handed, left-handed power and what Jesus did and how that all like moves into this conversation of faith, conversation of trust. It's just being reminded as we go into this conversation that you're talking about the God who lost count, mm-hmm. right? You're talking about second Corinthians five 21 mm-hmm. for our sake, our sake. It says he, God made him Jesus to be sin who knew no sin mm-hmm. so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Amen, dude. Right. Let's go. So sin has already been paid for in the dying and rising of Jesus. We just celebrated that in a really big way, right, this past weekend. Um, And what we're celebrating is that God's heart toward the world is already forgiving, okay? But Scripture is our highest authority. We wrote this in Reclaim, uh, chapter 3. We can boldly say that the world is already forgiven. The religious scorekeeping has ended. God has lost count. Yes. I love that. It's not that he doesn't have a memory, just to be clear here. Yes. It's not that he's dumb to what we've done. He's just chosen to by love, right? To leave the law in place, and, but in right, but in response to it, offer grace. Yeah. He's chose to, to lose count. So the salvation that, that Jesus accomplished and brought to the world can only be described as a gift. Okay. And that's what we're getting into today is this, this gift of salvation and our response to it in regards to life with God, to be born again, to live in relationship, to live in fellowship, to live in communion with the one who made us to live in union, okay, with himself. Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So somebody might say, well, why are you guys so big on this faith thing? Why is chapter three called trust? Well, there it is. I'll say it again, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, just so we're clear. It is the gift of God. The verse says, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. All right? So what then does one do upon hearing that the whole job is already done in Christ? Well, since work has ceased and salvation is a gift, a response is the only thing left. The only appropriate response is trust and elation. Okay? We're, we're trying to help you see a very subtle but life-giving truth. Faith isn't the final piece of an almost finished puzzle on the final infinity stone in the infinity gauntlet, allowing it to finally be effective. Rather, it is something that simply enables us to relate to someone else who has already done whatever needs doing. Mm. I love that. I want to read it one more time. Faith is simply something that enables us to relate to someone else who has already done whatever needs doing. 
And faith, therefore, is not what's needed for us to get in. Rather, it is a discovery of what already is. When someone, by God's grace, awakens to the reckoning and justifying king known as Jesus, they awaken to a reality that is already fixed, sealed, and in the words of Jesus that we celebrated in the last podcast, finished. Yep. Dude, that's the big picture, man. Yep. There it is. So like on 316. (laughs) Yeah. I think what we're saying is that the, the work of the Trinity in the coming of Jesus, his life, his words, um, his appealing to everyone that he's from the father knows the father. He's come to give us the eyes of the father. Tell us what the King is like. Mm -hmm. Um, The submitting himself to um, religion the submitting himself to humanity's thirst for control. This is what, what murdered Jesus. The religious authorities kind of are this, um, um, they're these, like these heads they're they're, they're representing at the best that religion can provide the world. Mm -hmm. And really what happens is in religious, in in religiosity, in a sense of wanting to control, you ultimately will take up a sword against God. Because because God, when he comes to the world, he's saying, grace, Hmm. it's not about what you do. It's not about what you can control. It's about trusting my doing, and I did it all. And that offends us at the deepest part of who we are because we want something, dude. We want something to grab onto to say that is ours. We want to, in our hands, present something and say, look, this is mine. I did it. Aren't you proud of me? In in a sense, we are all like little kindergartners, dude, coming home with like crappy art and presenting it to our parents and saying, look what I did. And there is like, there is a sense of pride and like doing and like our work and like all those kinds of things. But the human heart has this ability to take it one step further and to say like, what we do is who we are. It determines who we are and it determines our ultimate end. It says it's in a sense, the heart takes what we do and makes it an ultimate thing. And that is the, that is the brokenness of of humanity. So we're saying that yeah. Jesus didn't just die for this kind of like opportunity that floats out in the ether that by faith we can grab onto. And then all of a sudden it like counts for us. No, right. we're saying that he's done. He's done something that includes the entire cosmos and mm-hmm. it's already finished and it's already done. And it's right underneath our nose. And one of the best illustrations that we came up with for this is the big feast dude in Neverland in the movie yeah. Hook. Yep. Yeah, it's it's a good one. It's in fact, I'm just gonna let you tell it because you tell the story <laughs> better than I do. Well, everyone, I mean, I think mostly everyone's seen the movie Hook. In my opinion, it's the best uh, you know, Peter Pan movie because Robin Williams is in it. I mean, yeah. rest in peace to Robin Williams. He plays uh, he plays Pan, who leaves Neverland and becomes, I think it's a lawyer. Like, he's a big shot lawyer. He's pretty successful. And through a series of circumstances, finds himself back in Neverland. And he's Mr. Successful. He's um, this great lawyer. He's an adult now who um, is mature 
and he's done away with his childish ways, right? And so when he's in Neverland, he kind of thinks the Lost Boys are just childish and silly and foolish. He's lost his imagination. And in this illustration, the imagination from Neverland would be what we would consider faith. It's just dumb, simple trust to believe that something is. And so Pan is struggling big time. And he can't see the world through their eyes because they're living in this childishness that is, you know, the spirit of Neverland. And he still is trying to be Mr. Big Successful Lawyer. And so there's the scene where they finally sit down and they eat. And I think one of the reasons we grabbed onto this illustration is because of the table, right? Because of the food. And so they sit at the table, everybody's excited. And all of a sudden they start to pull the lids off of the pans for food. And um, Pan can't see the food. But in the way they filmed it, you see this whole spread at the table. You see the food through the eyes of the Lost Boys. They can see the feast that's at hand. Again, because of their imagination, because of their dumb, simple, childish faith. Pan can't see it. And so he's disappointed. Through his eyes, it's an empty table. And he's looking around at a bunch of people who are scooping empty spoons on empty plates and empty bowls and putting it in their mouth and enjoying a food that he can't he can't see. <clears throat> and so Rufio is the guy who uh, has taken Pan's place. He's the leader of the Lost Boys. In in Pan's absence, he's kind of become the man, right? Yeah. And he's got this like trihawk. He looks like a crust punk, you know, like going to any kind of you know subterranean show in Chicago. <laughs> like, like he <laughs> smells of patchouli and like uh, you know leather jackets. Um, and uh, he starts jabbing at Pan. Because the whole entire time he's trying to maintain and establish his, his dominance. So he starts in on Pan and starts really like making fun of him, um, talking smack. And Pan or and um Robin Williams character is like, you know, well, that's that's not fitting, you know, fit, fitting, you know, conversation or words. Do you do you talk to your mother like that? You know, he's still in that like mature adult phase. Yes. And then I think something clicks for him where he just gets, I think, a little frustrated. And it's that first sign of where Pan starts to come back. And then he starts coming back at Rufio with this string of just insults. That's like amazing. And he wins. He wins the insult battle with Rufio and everyone's like, yeah, like pans back, you know, <laughs> and his, you know, like his first like insults are like, Hey, do you talk to your mother like that? All the lost boys are like, boo, like horrible comeback, oh, yeah. you know, and I forget what some of the, you know, things are that they, you know, like booger eater, like, I don't know. It's just sort of like real childish ways that you can like, make fun of people. Um, again, like Neverland is built on this like childishness. This simple, just like way of viewing yeah. the world, not a complex adult way, a mature way of, of, of seeing it. So anyways, after Pan wins the argument, he takes an empty spoon, he dips it in an empty bowl, he cocks it back and slaps rainbow colored mashed potatoes all over Rufio's face. And in a simple act of trust, he now sees and is awakened sees. to the meal that's been right under his nose the entire time. Mm. 
And that illustration, I think, is so perfect to what we're talking about. We're not saying that apart from faith, we you like you walk in this, see this, and enjoy this. What we're saying is, in order for it to just be, God did that was something that He did. Yeah. In order for it to 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 be a thing, it is a reality. It is something God has done in Jesus. And by faith, we awaken to the thing that's already right there. Yes, 100%. Drawing all this to a conclusion, starting with Reclaim 1, I would say Colossians chapter 1 is sort of paramount in that. You've got this clear depiction of Jesus, again, image of the invisible God who creates all things, sustains all things. But then in verse 20, it's very plain, who reconciled all things making peace by the blood of his cross. So what we find in looking at that verse, and then also like John 1, John 15, John 17, right? Acts 17, all these other verses that we've mentioned that are in the writings, you see this picture of the reality before us is one that God has done. He has set a table before the world. Okay, before the world. Yep. I'm just going to say this. He has declared his love for the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and that whosoever believes and then goes on and does all the things that prove their belief in him. Just kidding. I added that part because the verse <laughs> says, whoever believes in him, faith, trust in him, right, shall have eternal life. That eternal life begins today. And so what we find in this is this understanding, this realization of a table that God has set for the world before his enemies. And just so we're clear, this is a God who's called us to love our enemies. So unless we're better than him, okay, then he's actually gone on and done exactly what he's called us to do. And I just remember seeing that and realizing that and everyone and their mother, according to the scriptures, are at the table. Mm-hmm. We're all at the table. You're either by faith, like a child that Jesus described, trusting the words of your father, okay, over your dim-witted ideas of control. Mm-hmm. And you're enjoying this feast of yes. rainbow-colored mashed potatoes yes. and the fun and the joy of having donuts with Wes and throwing mashed potatoes at this person over here. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's either your reality, that's your story, is you're enjoying this, or in unbelief, you're not. But when yep. you believe, when you trust, what we're saying is, you're awakening to a reality that's already fixed and in place. Mm -hmm. You're not making something happen. You're not moving from one world to another. Mm -hmm. You're awakening to this. Yep. And like you said earlier, man, like that, that, that belief that it's not even that belief. It's that declaration. You could say, um, if you're still trying to prove yourself in this world, if you're still trying to make much of you, mm-hmm. if you're still on the project of self, <laughs> that type of declaration dude, will make war on you. It mm-hmm. will. And what I have found is that, and this is crazy, it's actually harder for someone who's grown up in the religious church world mm-hmm. to grab onto that it feels like than it is for the person who's just hearing it for the first time. Mm. 
because it seems like we've been so entrenched in the training of trusting ourselves and what we do that that's faith instead of trusting what Jesus did mm-hmm. is faith. Yep. And I know one of the passages that we get into in Reclaim 3, which is one of my favorite, it was an eye-opener for me. I know it later became an eye-opener for you, um, is in Luke 18, man, in the parable that Jesus tells. Jeez, dude. Right? Two men walk into a temple. You know, The, undo- uh, the undoing of Pastor Tony. <laughs> <laughs> the undoing of Pastor Rust. The undoing of Pastor Tony in the summer of 2014. And I remember, like, kind of grappling with all the things that you and I've been talking about in the last three episodes here, even stuff we've said today, man, and coming across this story that Jesus tells. And it's, it's really simple. He's it plainly says he's talking to a religious crowd that's trusting in themselves. They think faith is, is all the things that they're doing to show their obedience or gratitude or whatever it needs to be right to God. Mm-hmm. Um, they're confusing fruit with faith in a sense. And um, Jesus says, okay. And he goes on and he tells this parable and he says, uh, there's, there's two guys that walk into a temple, right? First one is a Pharisee. And the Pharisee goes in the temple and he's got a speech ready to go, man. All right. It's ready to go. In his I back am, pocket. And, and it's, 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 it's pretty plain, you know, like, I'm not an extortioner, right? I'm not an adulterer. I I tithe faithfully, right? I fast weekly. And so it's almost like blackjack in a sense. You know what I mean? That's kind of what he's playing. He's like, I got a 10 of this and an ace of this. Mm-hmm. Boom, 21, baby. Your oh, tattoo, which you yeah. mentioned last week. Yeah, really quick. Let's not stop here. I got another 10 and another ace. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm he throws those down. 21. And he's just bringing his, his religious record. hand is very impressive. Yes, very impressive. And it's a just so we're clear, it's above anything you or I have ever brought to the table. Ever. And it's above anyone who's listening to us right now. I promise you, this dude's record of behavior, okay, and discipline just far exceeds anything you've ever imagined. All right. And that's who's coming into the temple and laying this down, believing that this is what God desires. Mm-hmm. This is what God's like. This is what he needs from me. This is how this whole thing works. Yep. And then Jesus says a tax collector walks in. Now, a tax collector to us is like not like not really a big deal. But in Jesus's day, a tax collector is like, man, this is like the ultimate sinner in a, in a sense. This is the chief of the outcast. This is one of your fellow countrymen okay who has turned his back on you and all of his family and all of it right his neighbors yeah. turns back on all of us and went to work for the enemy yeah like whatever your political ideology is the tax collector stands as like the poster child for the most cancelable person in your worldview yes just the and worst you would hate him because not only has he gone to work for the enemy He's actually using his position to also rob you, okay, to just gain more and more riches for himself. Mm-hmm. So tax collectors were notorious for coming to you and forcing you to pay a tax to Rome, but then they would tell you that it was basically you owed more than you really did. And and they would skim from that. And that's how they got rich. So that's this dude. And he walks into the temple and he just hangs his head, Jesus says. 
And all he says is, have mercy on me, Lord, for I am a sinner. And Jesus looks at this crowd of religious people who think that God desires, okay, this report card. He looks at all of them and he says, this dude, this tax collector, he goes home justified. He goes home right with God. It is the most devastating blow. It is like C4 <laughs> at the foundation of your tower of righteousness. Yeah. In a in this simple story, he just freaking dismantles all of it. He awards yep. the worst dude in the room who can't lift his head to heaven and in humility just admits his brokenness and just completely disregards the stellar religious resume of the Pharisee and declares it in front of everybody. Everybody. Now, if you're like me, when you hear this, you go, yeah, man, amen, amen, dude. I was once that tax collector, broken, <laughs> flawed, foolish, frail, made lots of just unwise decisions that led to just dismantling my life and the lives of other people. God met me where I am, and he announced, you're forgiven, man, when I confessed. Amen. And we take that, and we, and we run with it and go, okay, but now what? Now what? And if you're like me, you come with a list now. And so what I'm trying to get at here is there's something beautiful about this story that, like you said, it's like C4. It, it, it just destroys everything you've built your entire case on. Right. But the religious nature in us is so drawn to the religious noise around us that's offering control. Yeah. That we'll quickly undo that story just like that. Yeah, because now we need to assimilate my man. Yeah. We need to get my man into the yes. newcomers class he now he can't needs be faith alone you can't, I mean, he, you can't he now like needs this. he now needs to become a member he needs to get into a bible study yeah. we now need to help this dude undo his tax collector ways yep yeah because it can't be faith alone i know jesus said whoever believes i know ephesians 2 talks about this gift of grace right that's that we're saved through by simply trusting in what he's done but it possibly can't just be that right there's got to be more it's a great starting point trusting jesus it is yeah. it is and so i remember reading capon's book uh between noon and three which is where i got turned on to this parable that was such a showstopper from all of my all of my pastoral performances <laughs> and <laughs> He just basically asked three simple questions to test yourself, to see, are you really getting what Jesus is saying here? Mm. Because Jesus tells these stories and the religious crowd plots his murder. You guys hear these stories and go and teach them in sermons and people give you a golf clap at the end and say, well done. Right. You might not be saying what Jesus is saying here. Yeah. Because you might not be seeing what he's really saying, what, what, what he's declaring. And so I'll just make it quick. Capon says, follow the tax collector home in your mind's eye. And as he goes through the ensuing week, okay, do that. While you're driving right now, listening to this podcast, just don't close your eyes. What do you want to see him doing in the coming days? 
And I read that. And so I naturally made a list. Well, stop stealing, stop lying, give back the money that you've taken, quit your job, you know what I mean? Get on LinkedIn, find some, you know what I mean? Create a new right. friend circle. Fresh it up the resume. Community of faith. These these are all the things that you need. New headshot. Yeah. He says, he says, now imagine the tax collector goes back to the temple one week later. Okay without doing any of those things that you thought that he should do. Imagine that he shows up a week later, okay? And there's no reform in his life. But God again declares him justified as he admits his death and by faith says, have mercy on me. Do you like that? Question mark. Bro, <laughs> hell no. <laughs> yeah. I think an emphatic, no. emphatic no. Emphatic no. Um, I mean, that, that I, I remember like saying that out loud, you know what I mean? As I'm reading this, you know, <laughs> trying to get warm in a freaking bathtub, dude, in February in Chicago apartment. Because <laughs> as a Florida kid, that's what I had to do every day when I went home from work was sit in the bathtub. It was the only way I could thaw out. And so I just remember thinking like, hell no, like it's even throwing the book down. This is BS. This is the kind of thinking that leads to lawlessness. This is the kind of thinking that that, that 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 turns Christianity into something that it's not supposed to be and gives people license. And I'm coming up with all these things. But, you know, curiosity soon went out. <clears throat> and so I went back, picked up the book, and he asked a third question. He says, all right, I get it. You're frustrated. Take the tax collector back to the temple the following week with some reform under his belt. Okay? Less lying, less stealing. He's... All right, he's put in his two weeks notice. He's maybe he's you know possibly looking for another job. Do you want God to talk with him about the extent to which he mended his ways this past week? Of course I did, right? I'm like, by all means. But as I read on, that's when it hit me, dude, between the eyes. Why am I, and almost every believer I know, so hell-bent on destroying the story that Jesus is telling? Mm -hmm. Why? Why do we desire to send the tax collector back to the temple with the Pharisee's report card in his pocket, with the Pharisee's speech in his hand ready to go, with what he's done and what he's not doing? Jesus has already made it known. He's not interested in speeches and lists. The belief that our spiritual resumes count for anything keeps us from the one thing that does, which is the admission of our death an exclusive trust and the one who grants mercy and gives grace. Yeah. According to Jesus, that act of faith alone is what awakens us to the table. He's prepared. That's it. That's all. He'll accept nothing else because anything else is an affront to his grace. Mm -hmm. Right. This is, this is the Apostle Paul in Galatians telling them, what is it in you that wants to keep nullifying the grace of God with your endless calling of everyone to come with speeches ready to go? A lot of us have experienced that like in the small group culture, right? Where you would walk, get together with some people every week and you would go through like a list of things that you did and things that you didn't do and what you were going to do better. You know what I'm saying? Going yeah, it's like, we, like we, th we think like spiritual accountability is you know, dragging everyone into the temple to like list off your spiritual report card for the week. Yep. And it's like, dude, anytime someone busts out a list in the scriptures, it does not go well. 
ever at all because God's not counting. No, he doesn't deal in lists. He deals in resurrection. That's what he deals in. And so thinking, right. That somehow like, like the, the tax collector, he comes into the temple in the first scenario you mentioned, he doesn't mend his ways. He doesn't change his ways. And we're just like, well, no, dude, you can't skate by, right? You got that. You have to show a little something for this. We want to see this faith needs to work a little here. And yeah. then that, that now we show our hand as to really what we think the Christian life is about. So he hasn't mended his ways. And Capen asked the question, so he hasn't mended his ways. Do you think God's going to mend his gracious ways? Yeah. So he hasn't changed. You think God's going to change? Are, are are you are you now expecting after a month, two months, six months, nine months, a year, that all of a sudden God's going to change his mind about how he feels about the world? Is he going to shove his son back into a tomb? Like, yeah. what, what are we talking about here? None. The, the illustration is powerful because we think it hinges. This whole thing hinges on what we do and do not do. Yeah, that it was the crown on the sun. Right. The son that we just got done podcasting. I don't know how many episodes through John, right? Unpacking all that Jesus declares to be plainly tells us that the will of God, the will of God is that you trust in the son. Mm-hmm. John six. You could take all this from today back to the time when Jesus was telling this story, keep going all backwards. You get all the way to right to the garden. It, it's, it, it's all right there disobedience wasn't the problem distrust was mm-hmm. their desire distrust, to be like god yeah of what god was the like control. made them want to be god and out of that they then yes they do go and disobey and of course there's a lot of destruction that comes from our disobedient ways yes but the core of the issue is a distrust and the one that made you to live in union with himself so it's only fitting that trust is the way to awaken to the union. Yeah. Not a report card that you and I can't bring to the table. Because even when we do bring it like this Pharisee did, where on the surface it looks very polished compared to the ones that we have, what we don't realize is that underneath that report card is what Jesus is revealing. Your report card looks good, but what you don't realize is it's you actually get an F. You have an F because you've done the whole damn thing <laughs> out of distrust yeah of what i'm like Mm -hmm. think about it in relation to like a like a father with a child i think that's the best illustration we have but it's like the least one that we use Mm. like by all means i would love like for my children to walk in things that are good and beautiful because i know there's harmony in that but to think that my love for them or my relationship with them somehow hinges on that Mm -hmm. well that's insane and if I'd said that it did, you would go, well, man, you're such an unloving father. Yet, how often do we literally play that scenario into what God's like? Yeah. Do, do, I mean, seriously, do I love my children better than he does? Well, no, of course not. Well, then why are you, why are you undoing his love mm. and holding up my love for my kids better than how he loves us? Mm-hmm. What sense does that make? Right. 
but I just feel like it's like in us, man. Like, because if he's that way, then we can have a hand in the deal. Yeah. And that's ultimately what we want. Yeah. We love to anchor God's posture, love and involvement in our lives to our behavior. We think that it's axis point. The very linchpin of his love is, is anchored and hinged to our performance. Yeah. To who we are, but it's actually hinged to the sun. It's anchored in himself. It's anchored in the, the eternal dance known as father, son, and spirit. Mm. And in that realm, he's already made up his mind about the world. He loves it. He wants to reconcile it. And then actually in Jesus does the job. Does it hundred percent. It's just so hard for us to move away. And I think it's our pride um, by thinking that it's really about us and what we do. And then those who are eager to um, find their own sense of security and find their own justification in how far they've come, how well their lives are put together, how tidy their holiness is, how tidy their theology is, they then put an expectation on you that you need to kind of get up here on my level. Yeah. And then we use Jesus as a mechanism, as a tool to get you there. Happens all the, the gospel time. is the gospel is not a tool. It's not a functional thing, first and foremost. I'm not saying that when someone awakens to this reality and this this your heart explodes in his love that you start to see a lot of foolishness you start to see a lot of the ways that which you're not loving people and there is transformation and we celebrate that amen yeah we're, we'll get, turn, we're gonna get into it soon <laughs> yeah absolutely in fact we'll we'll go so far as to say it's promised yeah. it's promised um maybe not in the veracity and timetables that everyone else expects it to come, but it is, or the ways in which it should come, but it is, it is promise. But there is, there is much danger, dude, when you start to hinge the love of God or the, the efficacy of the work of Jesus in someone's life to their performance. It needs to stay anchored to God himself and what he's done in Christ. Yeah. And that's what the scriptures teach. And so the 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 fear of the losing control of ourselves or of other people or of the world at large, right? We want to add to this equation of trust, right? We want to bring behavior into the mix. And it just seems that Jesus himself throughout all the parables, and then of course the rest of the New Testament will have nothing to do with that. Yeah. That's why this chapter is called trust. It's yeah. just one word, trust. That's it. Nothing else. Anything else is a different conversation of what God does and how he goes about doing it. Let's not confuse that, though, with how we enter into and live into relationship with him. Mm -hmm. It comes through trust. And I know one of the things that people often throw up pretty quickly whenever that happens, that when that's said is, well, what about repentance? You guys are totally like leaving out repentance. The Bible calls us to repent. (laughs) And to which I'm like, well, Everything we've been talking about on this podcast is repentance. Yeah. You could say you could say Lark in general exists. 
for all of our repentance. Yeah, like it's that that would be the I mean it's it's not sexy and you can't market it, but like no, no, definitely not. Since ministry. Because like the word repent, it comes from the word metanoia. It literally means to change your mind. Okay. Yep. It's not a bitter ultimatum to start living right. The word literally means turn your mind around. It doesn't mean change your behavior. Mm-hmm. Okay. That doesn't mean that we'll begin to see the beautiful things of God and want to walk in those things that lead to harmony versus the ways that are often destructive, right? That are opposite of him. Of course, but don't confuse that with this yeah. to repent and believe is, is it's, 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 a, it's one statement. It's one act. You know what I mean? It's not repent yeah. first. And then once you've done that, then you believe. Okay. The words that Jesus used are a double imperative, right? They're, they're doing duty for a conditional statement of a single truth. That's what it is to repent and believe is one thing. It's to change your mind, okay, about this and believe this. It's it's the simultaneous act of stop believing a lie and start believing what's true. That is to repent. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that is to believe. To ready? To trust. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's why the gospel is called good news. Yeah. It's an announcement. It's an announcement about what is, what God is like. It's not a good 90-day program. Mm-mm. It's not a good online course. It's good news. News is announced. News is about something that's already happened. And the repentance piece is us changing our mind. Man, I used to kind of think God was like this, that this was kind of his heart, and this is how this whole thing worked. But mm-hmm. now I have Jesus over here telling me that the stellar report card of the Pharisee uh, actually was completely dismissed, and the breast-beating humility and brokenness and the admission of death from the tax collector is the thing that Jesus points to and says, there it is. Yeah. And I feel like when Jesus is pointing to something and saying, there it is, that's what we should pay attention to. (laughs) I know it's crazy. It sounds crazy. (laughs) I know it's novel, but that's just kind of where I'm landing on it. And yeah, I know your pastor just did a seven part series on, you know, sanctification and everything. Um, But uh, yeah, man, seems like Jesus might have something else in, in mind for how we live in relationship with him and it's not safe it's not it's not clean it's not tidy it's actually quite dangerous it's subversive it's messy Mm -hmm. but it's but it's life-giving because it's god yeah and it's what he's chosen to do to have relationship with people it's a left-handed act right of power Mm. because if he comes with the right-handed act yeah, we we could all be walking around like scared robots. But um, I don't know about you, but there, there's there's not a whole lot of uh not a whole lot of love in that. Mm. And um, 
that whole picture we painted of Neverland, that meal, yeah, that definitely ain't happened there. Yeah. So, dude, let me do this because um, I know we could keep talking on this one. I want to say two, two things. Number one, there's a killer breakdown on this infamous passage. It's often brought into this conversation about, well, dude, you got to take up the cross, man, and follow him if you're going to be a disciple. I hear what you guys are saying, but you're forgetting that part. Well, let's just, let me just encourage you to grab a copy of Reclaim and check out chapter three. Because yeah. you, Tony, did some killer work, man, in diving into that and unearthing what's being said there and showing why it's so life-giving instead of such a, a fearful idea that we brought to the equation. That that statement actually means opposite of everything you think it means. Yeah. And I think maybe for time's sake, it might be one of those like, grab a copy, check this yeah. out. Yeah, Reclaim 3 is cool because we kind of bring up a bunch of like you know, anticipated pushbacks. Um, yeah. on like what we're what we're saying and we kind of like you know bat those around at least some of the more popular ones like in, james and christian that works today. is dead yep. yeah mm -hmm. yep to take up the cross is, is one of those for sure so um killer conversation i just want to encourage everyone like you already said grab a copy of reclaim it's on amazon uh it'll be to your house if you have prime in a couple of days um head to larksite.com we have a lot of resources on there as well um, the Lark cast in general, I mean, this is episode 91, um, yeah, we did like 20 some episodes on the parables, which I have some friends that have been recently going back to those and checking them out. Um, we just got done with the gospel of John and now we're into reclaim. We have a bunch of write-ups there. Um, the only thing we ask for is just your email, uh, just so we can keep in contact with you with just like future stuff going on, future things that we're doing, creating, um, and things like that. So larkside.com, grab a copy of Reclaim. This conversation has been a joy. Always good to see you, Russ. And cheers. Yes. To good news. Cheers to you, man. <laughs>